Hello and welcome to NDA, the show where I argue with creators about shit that just doesn't matter. I'm Dave Wiskus. I'm joined today by Luria Petrucci. Hi, Luria. Hey, Dave. What, you know, what, I'm a very non-argumentative person, so I've been practicing my my uh, fight game here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I it's... I think it's like a the, the reality is we don't really argue so much. I it's like I like that as a framework. I like it as a framework because I I'm sick and tired of creator economy podcasts where like three popular twenty something men uh, just talk about how great they are. Well, hi. Um, before we hi. get into I don't know whatever we're going to talk about here, um, we we've done a ton of prep. Uh, do you want to, do you want to explain a little bit about yourself to anyone in the audience who isn't familiar with your work? Sure. Uh, which is probably the majority of them, <laughs> but, um, I've been doing video for 17 years. Currently I'm focused on, um, my live streaming pros channel where I help people with all the video and tech and live streaming gear and strategy and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, that's um, kind of what I'm focused on now. And I love, love, love to just support creators in being more confident on camera, more confident um, in building a business out of their um, out of their content as well. Where might people know you from? But I, I say this, I'm, I'm kind of getting at something. Like yeah. you had an interesting trajectory. And I'll warn you, this is not an interview show. I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions. But just for context here, you have had a, a, a weird-ish journey to being in front of this brick wall with potted plants. To say the least. Um, yeah, so I got my start in 2005 uh, under the name, the pseudonym Callie Lewis, Geek I've had like five different brands, so <laughs> pick one. Geek uh, Brief was the first one, Geek Beat, live streaming pros, and a bunch of others. So yeah, I've had quite the journey. I um, gained an audience of about 2 million followers, got totally burned out, wow. lost them all in a day, just overnight lost all of them and I had to start from scratch. So it's been, it, yeah, it's been a very interesting journey, but one that I'm, I've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of really good things, right? Like I've traveled the world on other people's dimes. I've, I'm in the podcast hall of fame, like all kinds of crazy cool stuff. And I'm also thankful for all of the bad times because they've made me who I am. You said you lost them all in a day. Is that a story you can share? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you've probably seen this a lot, right? Creators get burned out. I was, I got started when I was a baby, you know? It was like 20, early 20s um, when I started. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, yeah. I got to be in my 30s and I was like, I am the same freaking person that I was when I started, you know, my, my online persona. And I just felt like I was in a bubble. Um, I was needing to grow as a person and I just, I got so frustrated. I had a partner split in the business and I just, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go by my real name. I'm gonna do something that I wanna talk about. I hated talking about tech at that point after 10 years of it. And I just needed a, I just needed a change. I didn't know how to pivot <laughs> correctly at that point. I do now, 
because I made that mistake. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. You just got sick of the when you said that you you realize you're the same person. Hmm. Do you think you've changed since then? Or is oh. that like a thing you're trying to like you're you're trying to uh was that a moment a catalyzing moment for I need to do more to grow or uh, what what is your approach been? It was a combination of I need to grow as a human being and also my story is full of being told by others who I'm supposed to be um, my whole life since a child, right? And just um, a lot of control. And I wasn't allowed to be, to have a drink in my hands as a, as an, like an of age adult, you know, at a party, just because what if that, uh, somebody catches me on camera with a glass of wine in my hands and I'm blinking so I look drunk off my ass, right? Like those types of things were like always infused in me and such control that I just needed to break free. So yes, what I'm were you, a very a teenage different person. pop star? I know. Who cares? <laughs> I know. I know that now, but that's not the world I lived in. And so, yeah, I've spent the last, you know, uh, several years just really growing, really trying to figure out who I was. And then the last couple of years, push exponentially growth. Like that, that's bad grammar. You can call me out on bad grammar here, Dave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Exponential growth. This isn't scripted. You can be as bad grammar as you want to. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the approach you've taken here, you're very focused on the how-to side versus like yeah. being a tech persona or I would almost describe you like you're less uh, personality driven than probably many of the other people that you would even be associated with in the space. Like you tend to be more um, professorial, like you are here to teach, to enlighten rather than to like sell gear and get affiliate kickbacks like you there's a I don't see it that um, way because personality is massive to me <laughs> no no no. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not what I what I mean is that there are I gotta be careful what I say because some of these people yeah, I do. know uh <laughs> there no not about you but there there's plenty of people there's plenty of like tech youtubers where their entire yeah. thing is Look at me, look at me, look at me. I've got all the stuff. I get it before you go buy things. They're yeah. there as um, medium to high influence sales conduits for big tech companies. They, they don't say or do anything that isn't kind of sponsored by the companies they're talking about. Even if they get no money from those companies, uh, they famously... If you say bad things about Apple products, Apple will stop giving you products to review. Right. Oh, and so I know that well, way, right? Because that was my career for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in a way, you kind of have to kiss ass. You kind of have to suck up. Yes. And your, your thing now is much more about like teaching people how to do things, hear hmm. the right answers, hear the wrong answers, sharing experience rather than just being, um, you know, uh, a, a low effort sales conduit for big tech companies. Okay, thank you for clarifying that because yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's said very well. I that's what I did for 10 years. I was the earliest 
tech, one of the earliest tech YouTubers along with iJustine, right? And I'm not saying she is who you were saying, like by any means, I'm just identifying kind of the times, right? Um, but now when I kind of blew things up, I was like, you know what? Who am I? I started asking that question. Who am I? And I'm a person who just freaking loves to help people and be of support to others. And I discovered this whole online education world of like, oh, I can actually like help and teach and coach. I've been, um, people will would identify me as uh, a really great coach. And so... Yeah, that's kind of like the direction I started leaning into so that it's it is personality based heavily, but it's I'll tell you if something doesn't work right now, right? I wouldn't do that before. Well, uh, and this is where I think the, a distinction is useful. When I say personality, it's not about whether or not you have personality, but whether yeah. or not you are a personality. I think that there's there's um, creators who are parasocial and there are creators who are aspirational. And in the circle of tech creators, a lot of them are more aspirational than anything else. When you look at um, like Marquez Brownlee, yeah. uh, he is a creator where anyone who watches his videos, I'm speaking very generally, but if you watch his videos, there's a sense of like, I wish I could do that, or I want to film stuff that good, or I want to have these kinds of opinions. It's not that you feel like you know him or that he is a character in your story, or that you don't attach to him as a personality. You just sort of see what he's doing and mm. you can project yourself into that role. Yeah. Uh, and that's a little bit different from the parasocial, like, uh, I want your name on my t-shirt or I want to, <laughs> to buy your, like these things are just subtly different. And the, the most common case I see for, for tech creators, uh, people who think that they're highly parasocial, but what they actually have is a highly aspirational audience. And so they end up doing things. This is like tech YouTubers and camera YouTubers tend to fall into the same category. Again, just my opinion here. But I see a lot of people whose entire thing is reading the marketing bullet points, adding a couple mm. of opinions with really well-produced B-roll, and calling it a day. Yeah. And so it's all this like, what can I do to be another one of these? What can I do to like make my B-roll prettier or be more over the top? I'm going to mount a camera to a car now and that's my thing. And for Marquez being Mr. Production Value, Mr. You know, spend $5 million on, on gear and shoot mm -hmm. the most uh, air quote cinematic because all it takes to make cinema is expensive cameras. Uh, version <laughs> of a, a tech video you can possibly make. Uh, there's a difference between that and someone who's trying to really impart information to you. And when you are like tech yeah. personality, that is inherently different in my mind to uh, somebody who is sitting you down and trying to uh, imbue you with knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to find to something to argue market. with. I'm trying to figure out something to argue with here on. Um. We, don't, we don't have to argue. 
Uh, I think one of the no. one of the fun secrets of this show is we all uh, it, it often we ends all up being agree. Yeah, yeah. Me and the guest end up arguing with the rest of the world sometimes. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting because on the this side of things, right where I am, and how are you classifying me again? Parasocial. Um, I would say well, th those are two ways you can be. Um, I. Uh, you probably walk that line. I think there's a balance yeah. and the best thing to do is, is be balanced. So the, the personality, real personality, having personality gets you parasocial being right. a personality gets you aspirational. So you can have a little bit of both. Yeah. You okay. want the audience to both care about you and your story and yeah. also listen to things that you say and kind of want to do things that, that you've done. You're sort of speaking to a group of peers rather than a bunch of children who just desperately want to be YouTubers. Right. And in my world, right, um, there's... <sighs> now I'm struggling to not call out names. But um, in my <laughs> world, there's a lot of like... Um, there's a lot of bro mentality, right? There's a lot of like... Uh, um, really, I hadn't noticed. Really, <laughs> um, there's a lot of like teaching, and I, you know, I said I was a coach and stuff, and I like to teach and help. There's a lot of teaching that happens out there that I don't think is as helpful as it can be because it's nuanced, right? And so, in my world, one of the things that I try and do very much is nuance the advice side of things um, because not everybody should have a 12 camera studio like I do. Not everybody should um, be growing their audience the exact same way. And I find that, you know, when it comes to what you're talking about, um, it's a it's a struggle to have that shared, right? Is well, it's not really for me, but it's a struggle to be in a world that doesn't have that writing of the line. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I think that the the line that you have to walk is: Do you are you here because you are passionate about what you're doing, or are you here because you found a thing you can make money at? Both can be true. Both, and yeah, ideal, yeah. ideally, bo both kind of are true. Uh, mm -hmm. What I see from coaches and teachers on the internet, YouTubers or uh, who who have turned to like this sort of like sign up for my class model, or um, the people who are in the YouTube sphere and don't really make much, but they are known as being coaches or like thumbnail gurus or whatever. There's a type of creator I have observed where their brand, their, their coaching brand becomes, I'm trying to so hard to be nice here. <laughs> we both are. <laughs> Everything's a funnel, Luria. Everything's a fucking funnel. And all day, every day, every moment of their lives, these people are focused on how do they get you into their funnel? Mm -hmm. And nothing is the bottom of the fucking funnel. Nothing. <laughs> what you have is everything is either the top or the middle. And whenever you come in, there's a cycle. There's just mm -hmm. a cycle that they're trying to uh, to pull you into where uh, 
come sign up for my class, which is really just there to sell you my book, which is really just there to convince you to uh, pay me for consulting hours, which is really just there to get you to come back to my class, which is really just there to get you to buy my templates, which is really just there to get you to, and there's no end. There's no way. There's no point at which you ever get all of their information. And most of the time, these people are just talking about how great they are at coaching, or they're trying to pull you into this ecosystem. And uh, it's it's uh, questionable whether or not they even know anything. They're just really good at selling you into the funnel. And it drives so, me nuts. I get it. And there's like, I am, I, I have funnels, right? Like anybody who sells their own product are has- fine. Has funnels, right? Funnels are fine. But I think I, I, I get what you're saying. There's got to be something at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be well, substance yeah, somewhere in there. There's absolutely substance. And I think that that's like, I get so antsy internally about, uh, and we have this conversation. I have an eight person team, right? And they're always like, we're always having this conversation. How do we do this hum from a human perspective, right? How do we have the effectiveness of having courses and coaching and all of this stuff? and be really human about it um, and serve first. I think Thomas Frank is also a great example of, of this where, you know, he oh, has too much funnels. Funnel? And... I agree. That guy's got way no. too much funnel. <laughs> Your words I love not Tom, mine. but too much I funnel, know. Tom. <laughs> Tweet more, think... buddy. Tweet more. <laughs> but he does that in a, in a human way, right? In a does, serving yeah. first way. And so I think that that's the difference. Um, yeah, if you are, and, and here's the thing, and I would say every content creator out there needs funnels, at least one funnel to get everybody, to get the viewers off the platform. My biggest mistake, the reason that I failed miserably and lost two, not failed, but lost two million people because I burned out because I was doing, sorry, but sponsorships, like that was my model, right? I wasn't even on YouTube at that time because I started before YouTube existed. And so it wasn't even that I was getting AdSense. My whole business was around sponsorships only. And it wasn't until I gained the insight of having a funnel to move people to view move viewers off to be able to communicate with them in a different way off the platform and also have great on-platform presence that's when things started really working. Yeah. Uh, I think yes. And I'm not going to argue against funnels. My entire business is getting people moved off yes. of YouTube into a thing that I built. <laughs> totally. Right. So I'm not like, it's, I'm not throwing shade at the concept of funnels and I'm sure that any, well, I any, just wanted uh, to clarify bite, that. Right. <laughs> any soundbite here could be clipped out to make me sound terrible. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the problem I have isn't with the concept of funnels. Yeah, you you the the there's a difference between the audience and your audience. The people who watch your videos are the audience. The yeah. ones who are subscribed and watch more than one, those are your audience. The people who keep coming back, those are your audience. The view count, that's just the audience. And so finding ways to take random strangers and turn them into the audience and then turn the audience into your audience and then turn those into relationships that you can take with you, even if you leave YouTube or whatever your platform of choice is forever, that is inherently a funnel. And that's mm -hmm. fine. That's good. We should all be doing that. We should all yeah. be as creators. I hate the term YouTuber. I mean, right. I, I'll use it because there's no better word for this, but like what drives me nuts about people identifying as YouTuber is that 
why are we giving so much of the credit for our work and for us building our businesses to the platform? YouTube is great. percent agree. We love YouTube. Uh, all the love in the world to YouTube. Yes. Uh, I think they're unfairly maligned in many ways. I am much more pro-YouTube than I am anti-YouTube on every mm-hmm. possible front. But can we please stop giving them all of the credit for everything we do? They are nothing without us. Right. It's, it's and we are nothing without them, right? So it's, sure. I view it as a partnership, right? Agreed. Um, Agreed. To, a, yeah, to yeah. a certain extent. And so they are going to have, instead of like a true partnership where you are on the same side at all times, it's a bit of a different kind because they have their own assets to protect and we have our own assets to protect. And so if you look at YouTube as a partner, to support you in getting your message out because they have the audience, but you can't put all your eggs in that one basket. And when you do identify yeah. as a YouTuber, you forget about the business side. You forget about the funnels. You you don't even know, actually. <laughs> don't even forget about it. You don't even know you're supposed to be doing stuff off platform. You've been at this for a minute. So you probably remember the golden age of SEO. Yes. The embarrassment of the golden age of SEO. And I feel like a lot of YouTube coaching culture is like, I've seen this before. This is a rerun. Yeah, that's a really good point. These are SEO experts all over again. These are people who think they have all of the real insights on how the algorithm works and the magic formulas that are going to solve your thumbnail problems. There are good bits of advice. And what is so Mm. insidious about all of this is that you will get enough results out of these bullet points that it looks like there's substance there. But really, these people, it's all just the same. You can't spell snake oil without SEO. It's the same shit all over again. Yeah, you know, so we have um, in our student group, for my my students, um, we have a section where they constantly put in wins. And you know what I've been noticing is that they follow advice and they put their own personality or their own nuance into it, that's when we see them have wins, not just by following an SEO advice, right? It's like not just doing Mm -hmm. one piece of data. It's like, how do you adapt that to what you're doing? I'm not gonna do the same strategy as Renee, for example, right? Or any other YouTuber, because my channel's much smaller. My channel is a different topic. My channel is a, uh, I'm a different personality. Like there's so much nuance to this stuff. It drives me insane if you can't tell. <laughs> right now, the uh, soup du jour is, in the YouTuber culture is expand, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, diversify, funnel, 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 funnel. And there's a lot of good advice in there. There's mm-hmm. a lot about that that is correct. But uh, the over-funnelization it leads to this kind of cynicism where people aren't making anything of substance anymore. Everything right. is just part of the funnel. and the or, or people who think that because they have an audience, they need to build an entire funnel around that and use their popularity. Their popularity is a guarantee of success, which it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, like you might have momentum. You don't right. necessarily, yeah. We end up with people who create products or create courses that fail much much more failure than success. And we don't hear about that. What we hear is uh, YouTubers who start these courses on the side and they go out and tell stories about how, or they make entire videos about how much money they make. 
showing off the lifestyle, which is only really there to serve the narrative of how good a coach they are. Yeah. Any any YouTuber who's giving you a a tour of their their home with a price tag for how much they spent on their home, any YouTuber who is telling you, I'm going to be transparent about my financials, nobody does that if they're not making money. Or if they do, it's because they're trying to engender sympathy. Like yeah. All of these things are done cynically, not for transparency. They're done for business reasons. There's so much emphasis placed on authenticity and so little emphasis placed on sincerity. Where do mm. you where do you think your good. trajectory goes? Thank you. Where do you think your trajectory goes? Because you've moved away from the cynicism and you're doing yeah. this, I feel, the right way. And you're not well, you. leaning into look at me, I'm the personality, give me money, give me money, because I'm just a personality. Your approach, from my perspective, has been I want to actually build something of substance and of meaning. And there's a lot of what you do that can survive you. If you decide to go off camera or move on to other things, uh, the the knowledge itself, the business that you're building can someday live without you being on camera to do it. Well, is that, that the is goal? Absolutely. And in fact, it's been the goal since day one. When I first started, my idea was... I didn't, I didn't go to college. I don't have any actual expertise in anything other than dancing for fun. You know, like what I, right. I, I, I had to, I started this with the idea that one day when I die, I was leaving something behind in a much bigger way that it mm -hmm. was going to continue after me. Now I went, I'm 17 years in and I'm only just in the last couple of years being able to really start to build that in an intentional and meaningful way. But yes, that's where my heart always has been. I had a lot of bumps along the way. I'm figuring it out now, right? And so like, I know that that's where I'm going. Um, and I'm not going to have kids. Like, this is my thing, right? Like, this is my legacy. And I've actually yeah. mentioned this to you before. Um, I don't, uh, like, I'm, I haven't really announced this publicly, but I'm going to be starting my personal brand and just really focused, like, yes, doing live streaming pros, helping support uh, people. But I really want to, like, lean into some of this type of conversation a lot more of, like, just be staying true to who you are within all of this stuff. Staying true to who you are as a content creator. That's the class I did on, on Nebula. Um, that's staying true to who you are when you're building out funnels, staying true to who you are, you know, throughout all of these decisions that we have to make as creators. Um, because that's where the difference is going to be made in, in just enjoying doing what we do, like long term, not just, I think YouTubers, quote unquote, get into this because they see that it is a possibility and it absolutely is, but if you don't have sincerity, and I hate the word authenticity because it's way overused. I, I say being real, you know, just, but like that goes along with the sincerity thing. Just be real um, and do everything from that perspective. And that's where we all win. I, uh, my side hustle for half a semester a year is I teach at NYU. I teach yeah. how to YouTuber. And even then, the, the the I think the title of the class we changed it this year. It's like how to be a professional YouTuber or something like that. Okay. Uh, which again, YouTuber, but like 
<laughs> you gotta use audience. what works. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm going for like late teens, early twenty. Like these are undergrads this year. Yeah. And the the attitude that these kids, I say kids because you know, they come into the class and they're they're excited and they sort of speak YouTube and TikTok natively. Yeah. They speak Instagram natively. Like this is this is their language. This is how they communicate with one another, which is terrifying. But the most important thing I can say to them, like one of the first things I, I articulate on day one, so seven week class, um, the first thing I articulate to them is, I'm a high school dropout. Mm. The only time I've ever spent in an actual university is teaching this class. On paper, I have no business being in front of you. The only difference between you and me is that I've seen some shit. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you about that shit. And uh, so I guess I guess in my funnel, the 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 class I'm trying to sell is like a hundred thousand dollars a year tuition to NYU. Um, but the 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 thing that I try to beat into them over the course of the class is all of the understanding of the algorithm or analytics or titles and thumbnails, um, cameras and microphones, all of these things, audience interaction, comment mm -hmm. moderation. All of this is useless if you have nothing to say. Right. The most important thing that you can do, the most important thing that you can be is honest with yourself about what you have to contribute. If you are just here to share your story, that is fine. I think that people sharing their stories on YouTube or via podcast or whatever for their friends, you don't need a worldwide audience for your thoughts and opinions to be valid to, for people who care about you. What I don't want is for everyone to expect that because they have opinions, they deserve an audience of a million people. Right. Because that is dangerous, I think, on every level. So dangerous. I mean, you and but, I very much agree on subs don't mean anything. Like view uh, no. counts don't mean anything when you don't have the substance behind it or the, the communication with your audience. Well, the the... I'd used this line a minute ago, but there's a difference between authenticity and sincerity. I hear the word authenticity mm -hmm. a lot. Like, is this... Oh, it's so overused. The sponsors will say like, oh, just do it in your voice. Make it authentic. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> the example I use is like, uh, uh, let's say Jamie Oliver. Authenticity is Jamie Oliver doing an ad for cookware. Sincerity is Jamie Oliver using that cookware to make dinner for his family. Yeah. What do you mean? Who are you when the cameras are off? Who is that person? Yes. Not just who you are when the cameras are on. And you were talking a minute ago about uh, getting sort of lost in the character that you were playing. And I've heard people talk mm -hmm. about when you're when you're on camera, uh, like you you uh, who was it? Uh, I was talking to Jake Roper last week, and he was talking about how for so long being in front of the camera, you you sort of play this. Uh, stylized version of yourself, this heightened version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you get all this validation. You get all of this, this positive feedback for that character. Yeah. And you yep. start to think, this is the person that people like. I need to keep mm -hmm. being this person. And then you stop turning it off when the cameras go off. How, what is your experience with that? I think it's so well said. It's so true um, because for a number of reasons, I think. One, we don't think, as human beings, and especially creators, 
we don't stop to identify who it is we are. We, as human beings, we don't know who we are unless intentionally thought through because you're just living, right? You don't, most people don't take a step back to say, look at me from an outside perspective. What are the, and just ask all of the questions that, by the way, is in my uh, Nebula class and you can sign up <laughs> and go through your funnel. <laughs> But, our, um, funnel, you know, it's like, uh, our funnel, uh, our funnel, <laughs> you're, you're my uh, co-conspirator in this. There you go. But like, you know, you have to know what it is a, that people actually think about you versus what you think about you, because the person that we see in the mirror is a very different thing. I think, Dave, you and I don't know this to be true, but Dave, I think you're very um, I think you're very aware of both what you think of yourself and what other people think of you. And you, you hold true to that. Most people don't. Um, and so without the thought of what makes me truly me and what are my true values within me, not just what is nice to say, but being real with yourself about that, that's the only way that we can be real in our videos and not allow that experience to happen over time. And it's also one of the reasons I love live streaming because it forces you to be real with your audience. So yeah, that's what I would say to that, I guess. And you I've look been... like you disagree. <laughs> no, 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 I 100% I agree. I've been thinking a lot lately about how how invested am I in making friends mm. in this space? Uh, there are companies, I won't mention here because I don't want to give them the airtime, but there's, uh, so we, I think the last time I saw you was at Vid Summit, right? Yeah. Or no, was your class after that or before that? No, it was uh, before. Before, you, you, before. You, Yeah, yeah. Yes, last time I saw you was Vid Summit. Um, almost notoriously at this point, during my Vid Summit talk, I mentioned a company and their contract practices, thinking that everyone in the room just knew this. And somebody <laughs> shouted out, what's wrong with the contract? And so I stopped and I spent a few minutes explaining what the contract thing was. And there was an audible gasp. That company was one of the sponsors of the event. Yeah. And I have it on very good authority that they do not like me. And uh, <laughs> I, would say I also have probably it not. <laughs> I also have it on good authority that they uh, they they very actively don't like me, uh, <laughs> and and have made that fact known to some people. The uh, do I care? There's there's a couple of paths I can take here. Down one path, I'm a good citizen, and mm -hmm. I network and I rub elbows with all the right people, and I know people at all of the companies, and I can make deals happen anywhere. Down the other path. If I see bullshit, I call it out yeah. down the other path. If I see bullshit, I'm not afraid to tell people there are sharks in the water and these are predators. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like, man's got to have a code. Yes. Why am I doing any of this? Why do I have a position of authority or whatever power I have if my role is just to sit around in a circle jerk with all of the other uh, powerful authority figures 
ignoring the bad things. If we yeah. can't hold each other accountable, if your contracts are so bad that somebody getting on a stage and just describing what's in it is enough for you to be angry, maybe it's not on me. Maybe I'm not the one who needs to change. And I realize this might be ultimately some sort of like uh, industry career limiting move for me. And it would not be the first time I've, I've done something like that in an industry. Uh, but like, who am I? How, how, how much do I care what those people think of me or what opportunities I might miss out on or who won't take my calls because of it? You know, the, the, the thing that's caused me to come to terms with people might not like me is that multiple times throughout my 17 years, people have taken to attacking me publicly and harshly. And when that happens, and let's be honest, I don't believe in drama, public drama at all. I don't believe in drama in general, but I don't believe in public drama at all. And so I would stay silent or mm -hmm. just not speak about it and just go on with my business and keep on moving. And human nature is such that when one person's talking and the other isn't, guess what? Who do they believe, right? The, the person who's talking. And so... It has been very eye-opening throughout my all of my experiences, just human nature. And when people don't like you for something that you haven't even done or that is a no fault of your own or whatever the case is, that teaches you so, so well to not freaking care what people think about you. It's hard. It's not easy necessarily, but man, you then have to become really true to who you are, right? And you can start to say, all right, well, is that, does that speak true to me? No. Mm. Okay. Then I'm moving on, right? And so with that story that you just told, what's your truth? Like, what is that motivation for you? And that can allow, I think, you to just say, release. We have to be so aware now of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. The positions that we take, uh, I tend to be, I mean, I, you know me, I don't shy away from my own opinions on things. Right. I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to conversationally step in shit and then have to clean it up versus never saying anything of substance. Just yeah. who I am. The job I have, I have to be a little bit more balanced or a little bit more, I find quiet like most of my Twitter account, when when I say things in public now, I'm I'm not very spicy. Not because oh, I have nothing spicy, spicy to say. <laughs> eh, I got a lot more spice in there than, than I'm letting on. But like this show is is a risk. It's a calculated risk. I'm sharing sort of unfiltered opinions, and uh, I don't even edit the show. Eric edits the show. Yeah. Or we've got a we got a team of people working on this behind the scenes, right? Like I'm not going. But do they through have rules this. from you? They don't have really. rules of like, no, if I say this, no, I, I, I trust, I trust them to have good judgment. Hmm. And if I say a thing out loud, uh, unless they're cutting me out of context, um, yeah. like uh, th there'll be moments where it's like, oh, let's maybe take that bit out. Um, but for the most part, like I'm not going through and censoring cause I just, I don't have the energy. I can't, I can't, sure. I can't live like that. Um, but we're so as, as a culture, we're so aware of everything we say, everything we do and everything is broadcast all the time. Um, do you follow uh, Joss Fong, Vox? No. Uh, she Sorry. tweeted a thing yesterday. It was a, a small Twitter rant about um, the ways in which 
uh, girls are now forced to be aware of their own appearance and how 20 years ago, what'd she say? It was something to the effect of like, it's, it's hard to articulate that, that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we only had a vague notion of what we looked like as people. And now we are constantly looking at screens that have a little window that show us our own faces. I'm, I have three versions of me on a screen in front of me right now, as I'm talking to you. Hmm. That's FaceTime interesting. Calls. I... We have a little window with like, there's, we're, we're constantly looking at ourselves. What does that do to us? Oh, it's, it can be very detrimental unless you have the wherewithal to not allow that to be. I, I wouldn't have said that. That's a really interesting point because 20 years ago, I was in the, the modeling industry. So I was, I've always been very aware of what I look like. And I got out of it because I hated it, right? Of like the, I hated the environment, but um, it's, that's a very interesting point. And I'm going to go read that tweet because I wouldn't have said that about the world. Eric, can you read the tweet for us? Yeah, so it's a thread, so I'll just read a, a few parts of it. Uh, the first one is, it's not smartphones that make girls miserable. We can be a lot more specific than that. And the follow-up is kind of, girls see the top 1% prettiest of their peers across the globe and also see themselves about 10,000 times more frequently than I did in high school. They see the likes, they read the comments. They fluctuate between trying harder by buying the products and procedures that they're being sold if they can afford them and feeling hopeless that they'll ever be okay and loved without that labor. They post and feel stupid for posting. Whew. They post That's... and feel stupid for posting. That is so, That's... God, I feel that. Powerful. That is a powerful tweet right there. Like we, we are constantly in a state of seeing our own reflection, not a real yeah. reflection, ourselves through a tiny, cheap, shitty camera lens, the <laughs> right. front facing camera on your phone or iPad. That's how we see ourselves now. And, and you know, that just like made me realize I do this because I'm on camera so much as we all creators are. Like I recognize now that a few minutes ago, I looked over to my preview monitor over here and there was a hair out of wit. There was like a hair out of place. So I like fixed it. Right. Just like mm -hmm. naturally unthinking, yep. like, okay, gotta be perfect over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were like yeah. five minutes late setting up because Mike and I were setting up lights to make sure that it was the way. And this is like, I'm going to be in a tiny corner on what's probably going to be a phone screen. What the fuck do I care what I look like? Yeah. But we have to think about this stuff. We have to constantly be aware of our own image. Uh, we, uh, my response to, to Joss in that thread was, um, as, as, uh, like I'm, I'm not a young girl using social media, so it's, it's hard for me to, to speak authoritatively on this, but, uh, from a perspective of empathy, I see that same phenomenon at, at all levels. Mm -hmm. All day, every day, I'm on Zoom calls and I get yeah. tons of passive aggressive comments from people about like, oh, you're not going to turn on video. Oh, I guess we're doing this video off because I don't turn my video on for Zoom calls. And it's like I've noticed that about a lot of you on your team. Uh, be, well, so we have a policy about this now. Okay. We had a whole conversation internally and um, internally, you are not allowed to request somebody else go camera on. If somebody doesn't have their camera on, that is their decision. That is a choice that they've made. We treat it sort of like being vegan. Some people don't eat meat. Some people eat meat. If you are <laughs> vegan, you don't get to complain about somebody having a steak. If mm. you're having a steak, you don't get to make fun of the vegan, 
right? Like, let's all just be people and enjoy the world the way we want to enjoy the world. And I don't think that it makes people... Some people believe that that it enhances productivity or communication when the camera's on. Those are the people who enjoy having a camera on them or who are okay with having a camera on them. Lots of other people feel so self-conscious that it's yeah. harder for them to have an honest conversation when there's a camera pointed in their face, but they could with a microphone or yeah. when it's just a phone call. And so productivity is going to come down to you know, people's the personal person. preferences. Yeah, hey, there's, yeah. there's so, that, nuance, that nuanced word again, <laughs> mm. right? But, but that it's it's interesting because over the years I've um, forced myself to get comfortable on camera without makeup or anything, right? I'll go live after having cried or with zero makeup and zero hair done and looking like crap. I guess I can cuss here. But um, <laughs> I see why not. <laughs> I'm assuming you do. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, that's been an active thing for me over the years to get comfortable being uncomfortable, but really just being comfortable being myself, right? Yeah. But but there's yeah. I, I think there are a lot of different layers here. I, I love that that you do that internally, and I've definitely noticed it, right? Like for the most when when I have team conversations with your team, um, that most people don't and. That always made me feel uncomfortable, like, turn my camera off, turn my camera off, I feel awkward. <laughs> but I live in a world where I'm on Zoom a ton throughout the week, and we all have our cameras on, and I live on camera, I teach on camera presence, like, so well, I come at it from a different perspective. Also, you have a professionally designed lighting setup, and you have real cameras, and you have oh, had I show the up privilege You've had the privilege of training yourself over many years yes. to be that level of comfortable, not just through uh, experience, but through like, I don't know, whenever I whenever I see these like uh, the, these ad campaigns where like these are real models, no Photoshop. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, now take away the stylists and the hairdressers yeah. <laughs> and the makeup people and uh, the lighting. And let's see. Let's let's see your campaign then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we, we can pretend that Photoshop is the problem and nothing else, right? Uh, there's tons of things that go into making a person look good on camera. And mm -hmm. you, you can say no hair, no makeup, but like lighting is going to do a lot of the work there. How, how bad, honestly, could you look on camera? I think I can look terrible. <laughs> like wretched. <laughs> That's what I think. What would other people say? I know from experience that they would say, I just look normal, right? I just look like a normal human being. I don't have an example. Uh, I have not seen an example <laughs> of like you uh, in in that state on camera. So I, I don't have an actual commentary there. And I want to yeah. be really careful what I say about uh, what a woman looks like on camera. But I think that <laughs> someone, someone with model training who is familiar, who has spent right. uh, a good chunk of their life um, being familiar with uh, their own angles and yeah. uh, awareness of lights and cameras and focal lengths and this sort of thing is in just a different position than totally. like, some random employee I have in Spain who's who's jumping on from their iPad, right? Yeah, like, there's a there's a there's a, a knowledge gap there and uh, you know and technology also, gap. Also, totally agree. Also just for what it's worth, like I never showed up on camera because I wanted to. Like I was kind of 
not because I wanted to be on camera. Like I was the shyest person you will have ever met as a kid and growing up into my early 20s. Like, really? So shy. I had but no- How'd you end up with this? Well, um, I, it was early podcasting days and I had not gone to college. I was doing, I was running self-storage with my husband at the time because we, because the dot boom had happened, right? So like I didn't go to college. Then we did, I was doing website design and making killer money. Then the, the boom happened and I kind of had to get a job and wound up in that and I was like, I don't want to be doing this the rest of my life. Although it served me a great purpose because I learned how to run a business with somebody else's money because I had to do all the budgeting and manage customers and all of this stuff, right? So learned a lot, but definitely when I thought about my future, that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was the youngest person in the entire company, uh, right? And so um, that's when Adam Curry was on NPR. Do you know who Adam Curry is? Oh, yeah. Podfather. Yeah. Podfather. Um, he was on NPR talking about Don and Drew uh, podcast. And I was like, that's fascinating. Like everybody has the capability to have a voice. And it wasn't that I had anything to share exactly. Like I didn't have this desire to speak, but I was fascinated by this concept that no longer having come out of the modeling industry where there's so much like, you're good enough, you're not good enough, right? Um, mm. that, that anybody could be good enough. That's kind of how I perceived this new podcasting thing. And at that time, podcasting was video and audio. And so, and it was all hand coded. Um, so when I started, I had, there was no publish button to YouTube. YouTube mm -hmm. wasn't even a thing at that point. And so it was all hand coded, all manual processes. And I put in a day job and another full-time job doing this. Um, Apple had just released the first video iPod and I decided to put a video out there before people got it. So I put my first video out in December 23rd, 2005. Everybody got the video iPod for December 25th, 2005. 2,000 viewers like that, because I was the only one. I mean, like, everyone was forced to watch me, right? I wasn't good, but yeah, I was just <laughs> doing it because <laughs> I was just doing it because it was like, fascinating. And immediately, as soon as I saw the take on it, I was like, okay, this is where I'm going in my future. This is, this is a business. Quit my day job five, five months later after partnering with Podshow and I was doing it full time from then. And, um, but I never did it because I wanted to be on camera. Being a model wasn't even my idea either, right? Like, all of this stuff that I've had the advantage of having the experience of, um, it wasn't because I wanted it. Hmm. I remember I very much did. I really wanted yeah. it. But I didn't have anyone in my sphere. I was, oh God, what was I doing? For a good chunk of that time, I was like delivering pizza um, around that era. Or yeah. like working, working, um, tech support jobs, I couldn't afford real equipment. Like I had a laptop, yeah. but I didn't have a real microphone. I couldn't afford outboard gear. I couldn't afford a, a camera that could do video. I didn't even have a digital camera. 
Yeah. I had, I went on era. a ramen noodle diet just to be able to like budget money to be able to mm -hmm. buy a camera. Green screen was po four pieces of poster wow. board from Hobby Wilt Lobby, you know, just like taped <laughs> up there. Makeshift prompter. I mean, the whole ordeal. We, we hacked it back then, right? Yeah. Do I, I know? The best I could do. Sorry. I was just going to say, did I, do I know what you were doing on camera back then? Because you were... I, I wasn't. I wasn't on camera. Oh, okay, in okay. That, in that era, like, I really wanted to, to try something like that. Got it. Um, like, I was trying to figure out what kind of microphone to get to, like, record music. And yeah. Because a, a lot of it is the same gear. Uh, and, like, I couldn't afford that stuff. <laughs> so, like, getting a good microphone that you could use to record into a computer... Uh, I think I got my first Mac in 2005. Yeah, 2005. And then maybe uh, within a year of that, I was playing around in GarageBand and finally had some sense of like, here's stuff that you can do. But my yeah. ability to do anything video or audio to a real level on a, on a computer, uh, hobbyist stuff into like 2010, 2011, 2012, and it wasn't until maybe 2014, yeah, nine, nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, that uh, I borrowed a, a Canon 5D Mark, was it Mark IV? The first one that could do video. Mark III? Uh, Mark II. Um, this was, uh, I think it was the first one that could do 1080 video or something. Oh, I think it was, I the, Mark it was the Mark II was III. the big... Okay, maybe the higher quality, but Mark II, I know, did yeah, video. Whichever. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I borrowed, because I, it was like, oh, you, there's finally like a camera that like looks good. I didn't understand that it was like frame rates and shutter speed that that affected this. Or uh, yeah. I was a photo student in, in high school, um, so I understood like depth of field, but like, okay, how come, how come like video always looks like shit? And then like, okay, <laughs> this is a camera that actually looks like a real camera, uh, borrowed that, started like making YouTube videos, getting on camera. But that was my first like dip into like doing real content creation stuff that wasn't just, you know, making a podcast with my friends. Cause podcasting was kind of easy. You didn't have to be on camera. You didn't have to right. do all this other stuff. Now podcasting is a terrible, horrible thing where you have to be on camera or you can't put it on YouTube. And YouTube is now the biggest <laughs> podcast platform. What the fuck? Why are there cameras everywhere now, Luria? I don't get it. <laughs> I, you know, uh, the good news is um, that the, the generation growing up now on the good side it's just com comfortable, right? I, I do um, a yearly challenge uh, that helps people be comfortable on camera, right? And um, I should take this. <laughs> I think you're good. I'm so but uncomfortable on camera. <laughs> Are you self-inflicted <laughs> surveillance well, state? Well, come yeah. join us. We open in, in April. It's it's a free challenge that just like talks about on camera presence, and it always amazes me how uncomfortable people are, but also like the generation growing up now, not gonna be an issue. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, obviously there's the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. So yeah. good and pros and cons to everything, I guess, in life. Well, I think the, uh, I think, I hope that there's like some natural rebalancing. Did you see this thing? It was a day or two ago. There's now, a, I guess, a TikTok filter that de-ages you. Yes. And the example that was floating was like this, you know, sort of middle-aged Gen X guy, but then he looks like yeah. he's 22 in the thing. 
this is a little horrifying. But also, I, I see it and I have two thoughts. One, oh my God, this is where we're going as a society. We are fucked. Two, yeah. can I use that? <laughs> like this is, and this is the problem. It's like, oh, you know, I got like maybe a it wrinkle or two I'd like to smooth out yeah. on the, oh shit. Uh. <laughs> you know, I, I started getting gray hair at the end of last year. So now I'm having to deal with that, right? And like, I... I don't know. I, it, go, it goes against everything in my bones, this filter, because it's feeding into the wrong ego, right? Like that, it's all ego at the end of the day. Yeah. That yeah. is all it is. And the societal pressure to be perfect, I hate this filter for that reason. And it's going to have popularity because everybody, it's a, it's a vicious cycle and one that has to break. But I think that along with uh, a lot of the conversation that's happening right now is being more real and um, a lot of mental health conversations that are happening more and more, which I think is a great positive thing. I think I'm seeing it as an like more on the early adopter side of things, right? Like that that is a start of the conversation, but it's this like, let's be real, let's focus on our mental health. And then here's this shiny object. So we get pulled backwards. And I think that mm. over time, as we see this progress, we'll start to see a balance out where people speak up more and more, but mo but we have to, as creators, we have to speak up about it too. It's on us. It's not on the society. It's on each and every one of us to speak up about it, to take the actions, to break the mold so that we can have the balancing act. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about that? <laughs> well, there's the um, the the notion of and we're going back to authenticity versus sincerity here, but the sort of manufactured authenticity of I'm going to I'm going to intentionally use bad cameras or cheap microphones to keep my show from looking too polished and corporate. This sentiment, uh, like even. Uh, uh, bigger, massive production YouTube channels will intentionally use like yeah. GoPros and, and like five-year-old, six-year-old, uh, handheld cameras to film because it looks more like raw. Intention matters, I think, right? I don't know that it's inherently wrong if you're trying for a look. Sure. But... I think it goes back to that whole funnel discussion. What's your intention behind the action? I think it's, um, well, in that case, uh, my, my hot take is that creators often mistake the things that make them successful. True. Sometimes there are things you, sometimes you are successful because, and sometimes you are su successful in spite of, mm -hmm. and people will look at like, well, I got 10 million views and I used a cheap shitty camera Therefore, yes. I'm going to keep using a cheap, shitty camera because that's what got me 10 million views. And mm -hmm. we miss out on the sort of opportunity cost of that. Like, well, yeah, but if you had looked a little more professional, maybe you would have gotten 20 million views. I think that this is where we as creators have this trouble because it's not only that, it's, okay, I did a video about XYZ topic and it hit and then it drives us insane that the next video on that same topic doesn't hit, right? It's like all of the things that make a video a video successful isn't 
necessarily identifiable. And that's right. a really frustrating place to be as a creator, is to not know what it is. And at the end of the day, I think we kind of, we do have to look at that opportunity cost and not drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out exactly each piece of it. But there has to be a level of that. So it's a little, it's a weird mix, I think. People who've been around in this industry or any industry for more than 10 minutes, people who have found success uh, to whatever level on, on whatever platform, do we have a responsibility culturally to teach, I guess, the next generation of not just creators, but audience? If the going back to Joss's tweet, if the problem is constantly being subjected to our own visage, constantly being seen, constantly seeing ourselves as we think others are going to see us, which is not how others see us, and then being sold wacky fun filters that smooth out our skin, or in Zoom, where's the, uh, what's it called? I wanna make sure I get this right. I'm opening, because we're using Zoom right now, I'm gonna go into preferences, um, under video, there's a checkbox that says, touch up my appearance, touch yep. up my appearance. And this is an app that everyone is now using because of COVID. We all use Zoom. It's all mm -hmm. Zoom all day. And there's a checkbox to touch up my appearance. It doesn't yeah. even explain what that means, but people will check but that box just it. to be prettier. That's a be prettier checkbox. Why wouldn't I click that? Of course yeah. I would click that. Do we have a responsibility if those things aren't going away? What can we do? We can't convince people not to use them. We can't convince people to accept themselves. But could we, could we teach people, God, this sounds so terrible. This is dystopian, what I'm about to say. Could we teach them how to better hold the phone on a FaceTime call? Could we teach people how to put themselves in more flattering lighting situations? Could we teach people that... Um, maybe maybe everyone else is also just staring at their own little window and not at yours and we're also busy looking at ourselves that we don't notice each other and maybe now people are seeing you less than they ever did before yeah what like what what do we tell what do we tell these as as Josh said the, these girls who are are feeling shitty about themselves after after staring at their phones all day what do we say yes we do have a responsibility and we share that responsibility with YouTube and parents. Okay. Parents have to take some responsibility to this to raise children that ignore the, the societal standards. I am not a parent, so I get that I you can't really say that, but at the same time, I am. Um, <laughs> because it, like, by the time any one of us gets to somebody in their early 20s or even their teens, they've already been damaged. So we can't access young kids in that manner, right? It's very, very difficult. There, there are YouTube channels for kids. So maybe somebody out there who's an angel can do a channel that is helpful in that manner and also fun for kids to watch. That I don't think that could be me. But, you know, by the time I get to people, they're in their 20s to 30s to 40s mm. and or beyond and that's a lot of, and that's what this challenge actually does is like, 
we go backwards. Like we go to the time of our kids, of of being a kid and identify a lot about who we were as a kid. And being comfortable on camera isn't just about the tips of like, you know, bring it up, don't have the, the up the nose shot. That can help, but it has to start on the internal side of things. So I fully believe that we have, we share a responsibility and that's definitely one of the things like in the future future that I want to figure out how to fix. I don't have the tools or the resources today to do so, but I think that that's definitely in my plans as part of that legacy that I was talking about. What would you say to your your younger self 17 years ago about being exposed to or like pre-modeling? Like being exposed to cameras all the time, Um, everything everywhere is going to be filmed. It's going to be recorded. Is there is there some bit of advice that you'd give your past self of like, I don't know, chill out or I don't know. What would you say? I think what I would say to, for example, my niece, um, isn't doesn't have anything to do with the physical appearance. It has to do with creating a strong inwardly look at who we are and being confident in that. Because when that is strong, and kids can have that, I've seen it. And when that is strong, the outwardly stuff is way easier to fix. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Do you think that it's a, it's a, a thing that can be taught like being yes i do you 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 and i have different experiences from from sure. earlier points in life um i'm i'm going to try to be careful not to make too many assumptions but when you say experience modeling i will just <laughs> compare that to uh when i was in high school i was 300 pounds yeah so slightly different frames of reference. There can be a ton of shared experience, shared human mm-hmm. experience in there. But I think fundamentally uh, being told, and this is also there, there's gender stuff in here. It's way more complicated than I can possibly cover in what I'm about to say. But I think that if you are, if you are, if you grow up being constantly told how pretty you are and so much of your value is baked into that, yeah. the ways in which that can be destructive um, is similar to, but also very different from... Um, when your value is so associated with how you look because you've only ever been told that you're fat or you're ugly. Being like those, yeah. those are kind of two sides of one coin, but they are different. It is. They are different. Yes. And, and from my experience, like, I'm just going to say it and claim it. Cause I was a freaking cute kid. <laughs> like my, my kid pictures are like adorable. And I did get that a lot. Right. Of like, Oh, like dress up, like smile, pretty, um, for the camera, smile, pretty, be nice. You're a good girl. Like mm-hmm. these are all things that are detrimental. I have <laughs> is... stopped even saying that to my dog and found other alternative <laughs> ways to respond because, <laughs> because I think that you that... don't, you don't want your dog to value their, their self-worth <laughs> based on their image. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I think it's, um, demeaning. Mm. It's, it's demeaning is what happens, right? It's like you're, those words, I, even the words, quote unquote, shouldn't hurt us. 
Oh, they they do. do because they infuse belief systems. And so I think that, you know, and, and uh, on top of that, women have, you know, a bit of a, uh, an extra situation oh, going on with that. Yeah. And I know you do. And I appreciate that. By the way, remind me to tell you what I first thought of you initially. Um, <laughs> we can we can come back to that. But um, the I think that the the thing is is like we have to live up by men's standards, and we are mm-hmm. constantly proving ourselves to be pleasing to men. How can we not have these issues today? Yeah. So, yeah. There's. I, um, my uh, my wife was was a model when she was younger, mm-hmm. and she's toyed around with like maybe doing like Instagram influencer stuff. Like uh, especially early days of COVID, she was like you know, looking for stuff to do and was kind of going crazy with that. And never taking anything super seriously, but she's like really big on uh, cultivating her aesthetic. She's a mm-hmm. fashion marketing student. Well, just graduated, but like she's. She values these things. She values fashion. Uh, fashion. She values uh, aesthetic design. And uh, we were at breakfast a couple of days ago, and this woman walks into the restaurant, little um, like cafe style restaurant, uh, extremely well dressed, head to toe, uh, wearing Dior, and followed by a slightly younger woman who is also very well dressed. And my wife says, oh, they must work at Dior. And I look up and I chuckle and I'm like, that woman doesn't work anywhere. <laughs> Everything about this woman in my mind says, I don't work. And of, they, they sit down, they order one cup of coffee. As soon, as soon as it arrives, they both stand up and the, uh, the, 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 I don't want to say the older, but like the, the slightly, uh, older of the two women, um, tall blonde, she walks ahead and the the other woman, a couple of inches shorter, dark hair, uh, carries the cup of coffee behind her. They go outside, mm-hmm. the dark haired woman sets the, the cup of coffee on a table outside and then they start getting pictures of it with uh, a New York City landmark behind it. And then the, the blonde woman uh, takes off her coat and starts posing with the coffee and doing all these different things. <laughs> And my wife is like, see, she has a job. She's an influencer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with that as a notion. And so we we had, and it still continues now, this, this sort of argument over um, what that means or if that's a real job. And she's like, well, you should, you should be sensitive to uh, people who are online content creators. And I'm like, sure. What is she creating? What What is the thing? Like, the, I don't get the vibes here that she's like doing a campaign for something you don't know the whole story do you of course not but right so like i'm I'm making a ton of assumptions here yeah (laughs) (laughs) you Uh, are you are and and the reason i have empathy for that is that before the word influencer existed and nowadays most people i know including myself feel it's a very vain very negative term but Mm -hmm. before that word existed that's kind of what, in addition to the tech stuff, you know, like the board of Japan, um, Germany, like Australia, they just had me in their countries to share my experiences as I traveled. And 
like that was that was kind of what an influencer is, right? And so did that give me amazing experiences? Yeah, it did. It would be the definition of this, what you're describing. And I was able to add substance to that, right? By sharing real human stories and, you know, all of that. But I think I think that there is a segment of that influencer world that definitely doesn't have any substance, right? They're just doing pretty pictures and ruining the word for everybody else. <laughs> um, and then I think that there are a lot of people who could be considered that these days that are offering experiences to people. Um, one of the things that I heard a lot back then was, I'm in a wheelchair. I can't traveled the world. I'm a quadriplegic. Thank you so very much for giving me an experience I will never get to have. Like, that's some powerful stuff if done right. Mm -hmm. The influence of it, the ability to reach somebody and do something of substance and add some real value is not, certainly not lost on me. My my judgment of that situation, fair or unfair, almost certainly unfair, is based on I live two blocks away from a New York City landmark and I walk past it every day. Yeah. And every day I see very well-dressed people, usually women, standing there with uh, posing sometimes for an hour or more because I go to the gym right there. Um and I'll see them out the window. Like they'll they'll pose out there for sometimes an hour or more, getting shot after shot after shot in front of the same <sighs> thing that a million other people have gotten their picture taken in front of. And I ask myself very simply, what value is this adding? Yeah. Is this really something we need? Getting a picture in front of, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building or the uh, Eiffel yeah. Tower or whatever it is, uh, the, 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 any, any landmark around the world, uh, I get it. I have yeah. pictures of myself in front of all of those things. And I'll post them to Instagram to my 700 followers or whatever. I have no illusions that I am uh, casting a web of influence over an audience who hangs on my every thought and every word. And I'm providing a valuable service to the world. I'm just taking pictures of my vacation and sharing them with my friends. Yeah. And if other people want to look to, that's fine. Uh, I guess where I get grumpy uh grumpy old man about things is how many of us are being sold the notion mm -hmm. that we because we look good on camera we are now entitled to a lifestyle we are now entitled to attention and we must go uh distract everyone take up space and and get the same photo that uh, yeah. 10,000 other influencers got that same day Absolutely. I, and I wasn't passing judgment on you for passing judgment because I've been there oh, as fair. well, right? Like I've been there. I, um, I can tell you a story about that if you want, but like I get it. And um, yeah, it's, it's about entitled, like the bad side of things is about entitlement, is about um, not coming at it from a place of serving, right? And just like me, 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 me. And just like, just like I was saying, you know, we were, we were kind of like on the, the man thing, right? <laughs> like, and while 
there are bad men out there in my view, there are also a lot of good men as well, right? And so that's the same thing. There's good and bad to everything. And that, that word, I think, has lost a lot of meaning Influencer. and been turned bad. Yeah, turned yeah. bad by the people who you're talking about. Right. And to be clear, like I will I will recognize like calling me out or judging me for judging, like that's fair. I understand that inherently in the thought process, it is um, it is an inherently um, uh, potentially classist, almost certainly sexist view of things. I'll own that. And yeah. part of what frustrates me is that when I see people, and I say people, uh, but mostly women standing in front of these statues and kind of, it's almost always women, almost always. And that's not a judgment. What I'm really getting at there yeah. is what are we selling people? Mm-hmm. What are we selling? Or why are we selling this notion that the value you have to add to society is right. be pretty in interesting places? Is everyone a model now? Is that the thing that we're all supposed to do? So here's my story. I was on a plane. She was in the window seat. I was in the aisle. There's no one in the between. The whole plane ride, three hours, she's taking photo after photo after photo, like redoing her makeup and like hair and like posing. And I'm trying not to stare. And I'm thinking she's definitely an Instagram influencer. Like, Definitely. Yeah. I get to talking after we land. I get to talking with her and I come to find out she's an accountant having no social profile. I'm like, that blew my mind. But I think it speaks exactly to what you're talking about. It's not even her job. It's not something she's going after. She is. Did you ask? Did you ask what she was doing? Like why all the pictures? I didn't. I didn't because of time, because I waited too long to, to ask. But then also I was a little, a little shaken yeah, by yeah, it, yeah. you know, and I was like, I don't even know what to say to this. I was like, OK, wow. have a good day. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, that's that that is exactly what you're talking about. And I think that it's it boggles my mind. I don't even know. She was young 20s. And this is just like maybe the, the yeah. way. She, this is how she communicates with her friends. She has to project that she is yeah. attractive and young and successful, even when nobody watches and nobody cares. Yeah. It's terrifying. I forgot about that story until you started talking about that, your story. And, I'm, and I think that's worth, it's worth asking these questions. I don't think it's an overnight solution by any means. I was talking to uh, Peter from uh, Foreign Man and Foreign Land a few weeks ago on the show, and uh, we talked about, I don't know if that one's coming out before or after this one, uh, but we talked about acknowledging our biases and acknowledging the ways in which we are toxic. Uh, yeah. For the, the, In fact, the first conversation he and I ever had was I watched his video about him acknowledging his homophobia, and I thought it was a really powerful video to like own all of the toxic things that he used to think, all of the toxic things yeah. that he used to feel. And I, I've, I try to do this in general, but especially after that conversation, I want to like be aware of, you know, why do I think this? Why do I feel this way? And I've been thinking a ton about that experience at the cafe. Why am I judging this woman? What is, what is really underneath this? Yeah. Is there something in myself I need to evaluate or where's this perception coming from? Um, you know, I'll work through that. But I really do think that there's this like, 
there's a strange set of expectations placed on all of us. And uh, I didn't know what we were going to talk about when we when we started yeah. this. And I very rarely do. I don't come in with an agenda most of the time. I think it's interesting that uh, when speaking to someone who like your job is to help people on camera, your mm-hmm. job is to help people do this. Uh, <laughs> and there's certainly no shortage of people who want to do this. And to an extent, my job is very similar. I'm, I'm also here to help people who who are or uh, uh, wish to be influencers, usually people who already are. Uh, so are we the so problem? I guess the, uh, no, and this is this is where like the the question of like what is our responsibility? I think this is an important yeah. question. What what do we owe? Um, like I I teach students, you teach students, different mm-hmm. settings, but like yeah. Well, we and them? I we owe them everything to support them in the way that they need to get over their their hurdles, right? And for me, that looks very much like having these conversations with them and saying, what is it about your fear of being on camera or the way you're showing up on camera and getting them to identify those internal things and saying, okay, now how do I get over that? How do I release that? And a lot of it is based around looks, but a lot of it is based around being vulnerable in my students' experiences and, um, this conversation has come up multiple times in the last week of people going through a hard time, right? A transition and just not, and being kind of drained and not being able to show up on camera because they feel like they look crappy and they don't know what to say. And my job is to say, show up anyway, show up with sincerity, as you would say, yeah. show up real, tell your story talk to your audience, create a relationship from a human to human perspective. You don't have to show up every single video and say, you know, here's the best camera of the year. Like if that's your job, it's okay to be vulnerable in between and when you feel it. And so I think that that, from my perspective of my, um, my job and my, uh, what did you say? Um, my responsibility is to push them beyond those challenges and find new ways to, to cope, to handle it. Not that I'm a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of both are, whether we want to yeah. be or not. Yeah, we are. People say that is about it? me all the time. That it's like therapy around me. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just, let's lead from the heart and, and let's work intentionally day in and day out to put the crap behind us. There have to be better tools, I imagine, than the tools we have today. So well, I Dave, think maybe, yeah. Why don't you and I work to uh, figure something out together? All right. Well, yeah, let's, let's you and I, uh, two people who aren't parents, uh, get together to, <laughs> to solve the next <laughs> generation's body image and mental health issues. Perfect. <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in. Right. Let, me, let me raise everybody else's kids. <laughs> That's what I, 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 um, yeah, I, I got a hysterectomy and I traded that in for like all the kids in the world. <laughs> right? I'm like, great. Okay. Infinite Yay. children. <laughs> Infinite. Wait, Luria, uh, you said you were going to tell me what you thought of me when we met. <laughs> 
I had to ask Renee about you because he knows both of us really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I met you inside of a community uh, the first time and I, I could tell you were cool. And at the same time, because of your like um, spice, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was like, is he being mean or is he just being spicy? Like, <laughs> I couldn't figure you out at first. And it Aww. took me. Oh, no, 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 that's oh. not a bad thing. But I don't I, want to come I, off as mean. No, that is also on me because of my own personal experiences, which we have to recognize. And I work through consistently with my I own. See. You're right. I like, okay. I don't think okay. you come off you as mean, I but I had to kind of work through that with you. And, and I, I like I had to to discover through multiple conversations, uh, you and I personally, that you are a freaking good guy. <laughs> like you care deeply and you are spicy and that's what makes you <laughs> lovable. So I, I, <laughs> I just, I've never said that to you. <laughs> I remember being, thank you. I remember being in Amsterdam once and uh, being on, uh, I was on a train having a loud conversation with, with some people. Like we were just really excited about something. And uh, afterwards, somebody pulled me aside and said, yeah, somebody on the train just asked me, is he an asshole or just American? 